HRN listeners. As we celebrate our 15th year, we are deepening our commitment to giving voice to the next generation of food system storytellers, and we need your help. Our internship and fellowship programs help activate new possibilities for underrepresented and underestimated young people through experiential journalism, audio engineering, and production training. Through these unique programs, HRN helps food equity stewards build essential workforce readiness skills that expand their potential and foster economic mobility. Please consider supporting these critical programs. And with a minimum donation, you can be entered to win a dinner for two at an amazing restaurant in one of eight cities and tickets to a concert at a great venue in one of those cities. We have incredible partners across the country who have donated as they also share our passion for helping to educate the next generation of food system storytellers. Check out heritageradionetwork.org 15 to donate and enter to win today. That's heritageradionetwork.org 15 to donate and enter to win today. And make sure you donate before March 31st. Thank you. You're listening to Heritage Radio Network. Since 2009, HRN podcasts have been exploring the wide world of food, beverage, and agriculture. Learn more at heritageradionetwork.org. This episode is brought to you by Roberta's, home of Heritage Radio Network for 10 years. Learn more about Roberta's at robertaspizza.com. Hello, this is Dana Cowan, and you're listening to Speaking Broadly on Heritage Radio Network. Each week, I interview someone who I find extraordinary and who inspires me with their work and their approach to life. And today, oh my gosh, I am interviewing someone who I only met on TV, which means I didn't meet them at all. <laughs> and her name's Gabrielle Etienne and she was on High on the Hog, and there was a scene with her and her family, and I had to meet her and learn more. So welcome, Gabrielle. I'm so happy to be in Raleigh Mm -hmm. to get to see you in your home state, not quite your hometown because you're about 20 minutes outside. Adjacent. You're adjacent. But welcome. Thank you so much. I'm so excited to be here with you. (laughs) (laughs) I feel that the place that you live is very magical to you and to your ancestors and your family. And I feel like to understand the place it is to you today, Mm -hmm. I'd love to go back and know what was it like when you were growing up? Because Mm. this is a place that you've returned to, but you also went away from. I feel like my neighborhood growing up, it was rural then. It was considered a lot more rural. I was outside. Most of my neighbors are my relatives. And so right next to me was my Uncle Ellis's house. And my Uncle Ellis's grandkids were my cousins, AJ and Dominique, and they were my ace spoons. And we used to just be outside every day. Okay, we were engineers. We made whatever we needed to make. We, like, played in the red dirt. We were outside kids you know like we picked the re- like the wild onions which I still harvest now we picked those and we would make our little fake food it was just a beautiful very safe bubble that I grew up in and has your family been in that place for a very long time yes on my mother's side yes um they've been there for four generations so my great-grandfather 
was the first one to kind of like get this parcel of land, which is, you know, this land is adjacent to land that my family's worked for a long, long time, right? We've always been in that area. They were farmers, they were tenant farmers, they were sharecroppers for a long time. Um, And then they purchased this piece of land, this parcel. My great-grandfather used to run a juke joint right there on the property. I feel like it's so funny because this is a history that I've only discovered in the last like couple of years, right? How this did it come to light? Something, well, what's funny is like, just like all of this stuff that I'm working with now, or a lot of it, it's like just sitting down and having conversations, very casual conversations with my grandfather and his brothers, right? And so it'll just come up casually like, oh yeah, that's back when daddy used to run the joint. And it's like, wait, what did you say? <laughs> just amazing. He just, and then turns out, you know, like we're collecting some of the oral histories from like our community at large. Like this was a spot. This wasn't just any juke joint. This was like the one. There were lines. There were lines. It was popping. It was packed. People were coming to eat. Apparently, like, you know, the shelves were always stocked with like pickled eggs and pig's feet. There was always something frying and popping and hot grease. There was always good music sometimes, you know, live music and records playing. And so like that energy, I believe, still lives in the soil where we are, right? And that's really like the well that I pull from whenever I host anything, especially on our property. It's like I have this beautiful, rich history of generations of entertainers and also like just placemakers. So who do you think made all the food? Oh, so it was a it was a joint effort, okay. right? Um, I've heard a few different stories, but I know... My great-grandfather was known for his barbecue. Okay. And so he was the one who people would come from Raleigh. They would come from Chapel Hill, wherever they were. They would bring him their whole hog, and he would pit cook it. And then he had his own sauce. That was like, it's so funny because this sauce is still talked about by people. Um, I never met my great grandfather, but I feel like I knew him because I've had people come up to me at funerals and be like, you know, your great granddaddy shared his sauce recipe with me. And I'm like, ma'am, I don't know you. (laughs) (laughs) I was just, you know, trying to mind my business. But it's, it's really cool because... I don't have to pull from far or, you know, it's like it's right there and I see it manifesting in the way that my grandfather prepares his turkey barbecue. He still makes my great grandfather's sauce. So he's the one. She had the recipe somewhere. Oh, yeah. The recipe is there. I've I'll never share the exact okay. recipe. All right. But I do my own. Sounds version like he of was it. very generous, however, in he, sharing. You the know recipe. what? I'm like you. I love him. <laughs> <laughs> I like you. You're just going to keep it tight. No, but. I have a version of it okay. that I will freely and happily share. Okay. Mm-hmm. So you grew up in this place that is so extraordinary, mm-hmm. and you left. Mm-hmm. You went to San Francisco. Mm-hmm. Um, you came to New York. What made you think that leaving was a good idea? And what were you searching for? Mm. Well, I think I thought leaving was the only option since I was a little, little girl. My mom is an actress. And okay. so I grew up in the theater. I grew up watching her like build these incredible worlds on stage. And I've always been, I was a theater kid. Like I loved, you know, when I went to school, I studied communications and film and, and loved 
my theater classes and my improv classes because I love storytelling. And the stories that my mom was telling me since I was a kid and my grandmother were like stories of other places outside of where we're from. And so it's funny because my mom got to go to Europe when she was a young woman for singing. And she went on this trip. And I mean, you would think my mom lived in Europe for like years, <laughs> the way she talks about it. I think it was probably like two weeks or something. She had like a host family. But the way that she talks about it, you would think like, my, oh, my mom grew up in Paris. Yes. Um, and so I've always like wanted to go out and explore these places because of the way that it was talked about at home and the way that like my mom never limited me. She never like put me in a box, you know, whatever I wanted to do, however I wanted to show up. She really supported that. And so did my grandmother. And so I remember um, actually in moving back home, finding cookbooks on my grandmother's bookshelf. Hawaiian cookbooks, <gasps> Japanese cook, you know, like she Your mom brought back. Yeah, like my grandmother was like exploring. That was her way of getting out because my grandmother didn't get a chance to travel all over the world. But she, but she would, cooked a lot. But she did love to cook. Yeah. And she was open to exploring and she really nurtured that for me. So I've always wanted to get out and see what else is out there. So you went to see other parts of the world. Yeah. And it seems like some of your time in New York was really formative to what you're doing now. Starting in fashion, you're dressed so exquisitely. It's a linen cream colored jacket with black pinstripes and a sparkly pink um, sweater and like wide leg torn jeans and the most amazing maroon <laughs> high heeled boots for a preservationist that I've ever seen. Oh, um, so you worked in fashion a bit in New York, which is why I did the detailed scene for the listeners. Yes. What did you get from New York that helped inspire you on the journey to go back home? I feel like I gathered a lot of things. I think sometimes you have to step out of where you are to really understand the beauty and the worth and the wealth that you have access to. Living in New York, when you can have plants and pots, sure. I mean, you have to really acquire some wealth to have a nice lawn mm-hmm. so, yeah. <laughs> in New York. Better to get a nice buyer escape. Right, yeah. right, and get some pots yeah. and some plants. But, um, yeah, it was definitely like a combination of things. So I was working with Chef J.J. Johnson when things really started to, like, develop for me, and I started to connect some dots between like the food that I was like storytelling around and doing research around with his work. I read that you were like hosting dinner parties Mm -hmm. and is that the sort of the research part, like cooking, hosting? Oh, and what maybe for my personal life, yes. Yes. Like cooking and hosting like dinner parties has always been like uh, a joy of mine since I was a child actually, that goes back to my 10 year old self. But um, the work I was doing with uh, Chef J.J. Johnson in particular was grain research work. And so I met Glenn Roberts at Anson Mills, and I met a lot of incredible people who were like in the fields doing the work, who we were sourcing the food from for his new rice concept or his grain concept. Which Which is called Field Trip. Field Trip, exactly. Which is in Harlem. Yeah, exactly. Um, and so I was putting together, like all of these notes were, dots were connecting. I was reading Black Rice uh-huh. um, by Judith Carney. And there were, there were just a lot of incredible resources that my world was open up to. And what was funny was at the heart of it was like 
some of the same stuff I knew was true for my grandfather and my great uncle who were keeping a garden at our home place. And so I was just connecting a lot of dots. I would go home during the summer. I would get out in the garden. I would come back with my suitcase full of veggies, collards, heirloom tomatoes. And that's where, like, the dinner parties really, like, came into play because I was like, mm, I got to share these. I got to share these with my people. A lot of my friends in New York were actually from North Carolina. <laughs> so it was kind of a form of, like, remembrance and, like, ooh, like, I miss these things. I miss stewed okra and tomatoes. So I'm going to make this and I'm going to bake my fish in it, you know, and serve it family style. And that's really, like, how that came to be. But I was kind of, I think, feeding my homesickness mm-hmm. by Did you feel homesick? No. Yes, absolutely. And surrounding yourself with people from home, food from home. Come on. Yeah. It's like, girl, just go home. <laughs> <laughs> what are you doing? Um, yeah, it, it really made sense for me. And I think, like, my grandfather, he's 86 now. When I moved home, I knew, like, okay, he's in his 80s. His brothers are in their, you know, 80s and 70s. I need to... I need to do this now if I'm going to do this. If I'm going to dedicate myself to like preserving these and archiving these stories, it's going to need to be now while the pieces still make sense. Was there something that made you say, this is the time I need to go? What's really wild is actually at this point, I try not to feel awkward about like admitting that I really just felt a calling. Mm -hmm. Right. Because it's hard to explain that to people, especially when you're like you're working. I was working in the food industry. I was doing pretty well. Mm -hmm. I just gotten a really cool job offer and was like climbing this ladder that I think on paper looked really good Mm -hmm. to me. And I think I also felt like, "Mm, but the real work that you need to do is elsewhere. And so like a big part of this was I, I met. Chef BJ Dennis, and went down to South Carolina and got a chance to spend some time with his family, his community. And it was such a mirror. And seeing him like doing what he was doing and archiving what he was archiving, it was like, okay, this could be a real thing. You know, it doesn't have to be so abstract. And so it was really beautiful having examples like him. Another one of my examples was um, Cornelia Bailey of Sapelo Island before she passed away. There are a lot of people who are doing this work, like mm-hmm. this preservation work, mm-hmm. in the place that they were from. Amazing. You know? Yeah. And so it was like, I'm going to just, I was what, 27? I was 20-something. It made sense then. <laughs> it was like, I'm just going to uproot everything. I don't have a job lined up, but I'm going home. And I just got in the garden and did that like every day that I could and learned how to grow, learned how to make wine and pickle and preserve. I'm not a farmer. I don't consider myself actually a farmer. I consider myself a gardener. I, I keep seeds. Okay. And I work with farmers. Okay. But I am curious, if it grows and you planted it, mm-hmm. why are you not a farmer? I think it has to do with, because I've been so up close to the work that farmers are doing mm-hmm. and the scale of production and the amount. It does. Yeah, it just doesn't feel right. Like It does because yeah. I've seen, like, they put the money, the mm-hmm. time, all of what goes into them carrying that mantle in yeah. particular. It's a very specific thing. And I think at one point I didn't understand that. And so yeah. it's very, like, cavalier. I, yeah, I'm a farmer. Mm-hmm. Um, I come from farmers, mm-hmm. but I garden, yeah. you know. <laughs> I, I keep my seeds. I, you know, try my best to, like, 
uphold the things that I've learned from my grandfather mm -hmm. and his brother, my uncle Andrew, who I work with, and my uncle Herbert. And those are really important things. But yeah, I think gardening is a mantle on its own. Gardening is amazing. And as is this seed saving, which we'll, um, we'll get to. Mm -hmm. So you came home and I know that you're archiving family stories. Mm -hmm. And I just, I'd love to hear some of them. I was really moved when I think it was one of it, it might've been Uncle Andrew mm -hmm. who made strawberry wine after having been moved from his house by eminent domain. And you're like, you know, things change, but they also stay the same. Mm -hmm. And I would just, I'd love to hear some of the traditions and some of the stories that you are excited about sharing with people. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I feel like a lot of the stories that I'm like most excited to share are absolutely like moments that I spent in that first year when I had first moved mm -hmm. back home. And I was learning how to slaughter and clean a chicken mm -hmm. and cook it and make chicken pastry, mm -hmm. you know, um, how to salt mullet fish. That was one of the, fi the fish that we would preserve and salt every year. And then like used to like in a similar prep preparation to like bacala mm -hmm. and like, you know, mm -hmm. like make all types yeah. of stuff with or just like. A boil it and then fry it in a skillet and eat it on a um, a biscuit with some molasses in the morning. Wine making is a huge one, and Uncle Andrew is the one for wine making. Um, and that's about like whatever is seasonal, whatever you're trying to preserve. So from plum wine to strawberry to muscadine, like we have all types of wine we've played with. And um, I'm so curious about that. I mean, because you had shared a picture of like plums that weren't happy. Uh, You're going to harvest them and make the wine. The wine tradition must be time honored. So it's you pick, you press, introduce and then ferment. Like, oh, yeah. So with the plums, mm -hmm. we don't we don't do any pressing. You don't. We pound. We so my gram. Oh, it's yeah, an amazing picture of you with a gigantic stump. It's like the, it's like what is that mortar and pestle thing? <laughs> but it's not. But it's not. It's wow. um, it's a stump. It's a well. It's a I guess a portion of a branch of a tree, right? And it's been used from year to year, and so it's formed its own, you know, wild yeast. It's picked up things. It's its own living thing at this point. We always use that, and we use um, a big uh, wash you know, the big tin wash tubs to press the grapes or, or pound the fruit in. We add, um, we clean them in that, and then we press them. We pour them into barrels. We add water mm -hmm. and yeast and sugar, and we leave them in the dark. And that's, I mean... It's amazing. It's really beautiful. I've, I feel like um, because I love... Italy. I love France. Mm -hmm. I love all the places mm -hmm. that I feel like are held so highly in our industry. Mm -hmm. um, it was really rewarding for me to be able to come home and see that we have our own like traditions around like wine making and sausage making. And like what I love the most about like sausage making in particular is like it reminds you why community and like proximity was so important because you needed your people to come and help you do this process. You couldn't do it on your own. 
And what does the community help you do? So it looks like 4 a.m. in the morning, you're slaughtering hogs, you're hanging them up to drain, you're butchering them and breaking them down. Um, There is for a family out in Roxboro where I go annually to their hog killings. I didn't make it out this year. I'm quite shame of myself. I was moving around too much. (laughs) But their whole community and their family comes out and it happens every weekend in December. And so it is, you know, as young as 10 years old to up in their 80s. Folks are out and they have a job and it could be you're on the assembly line, mm-hmm. you're butchering, breaking down ribs and chops mm-hmm. and you're sitting those things over here. We're breaking down fat. We're separating the fat for the sausage. And then the sausage is going over here. It's being moved to a different place where it's going through the grinder with all the seasonings mm-hmm. Then it's going in bags because they still make the traditional sack sausage, which is something you can't really find in any store. Have you had sack um, sausage? Never. No, that's very cool. I'm going to make sure I get you some sack sausage. It is such a treat. It's a cotton bag filled with this spicy pork sausage hung up, and the fat from the sausage just spills into the cotton and closes it like wax, and then it ages. It's so Okay, that's amazing. I know. I know. Okay. We'll talk after. That's amazing. (laughs) And there's there's so many things like that. Do you feel like... There's just so little of it, and that's why it's your moment to make sure that you record it and can continue, or the opposite. Maybe it feels like it's all around you. It is. All around you, I think that was like the epiphany. I think coming into it, it was like, oh, God, like we're... Which it is true. We're losing a lot of this stuff because the people who perform a lot of the acts are Mm -hmm. aging out, Mm -hmm. right, and transitioning on. But there is, like, there are a lot of people from my generation who have been learning from these people for years. They're their fathers. They're their grandfathers. And so in the case of the family out in Roxborough, his two sons work and um, have been taking over for him. And so... Those traditions won't be lost because there are people that find a lot of value in the coming together of folks around the actual food and then having access because that's their meat. You know, that's their pork chops. That's their ribs. That's their sausage for the year, which I think is just so beautiful. Are there other ways in which people who follow these traditions, you included, um, live both inside and outside of the current day. To me, there's something that's so beautiful about a food way that's very old Mm -hmm. when we spend so much of our time like on our phone and like what's the latest. And I personally am less and less interested in what's the latest, but I'm wondering whether how you think about that in your mind because you're very much in both worlds. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I feel like at the root of most of my cooking is like slow cooking and Mm -hmm. slow food is central. Does it translate to slow life? I think sometimes, most times. Mm -hmm. I think I have a really uh, unique setup because Mm -hmm. um, I am so far removed. After leaving New York, Mm -hmm. I I am like at the home place. I'm renovating my home place. That has very much consumed a lot of my time. And um, you can't help but when you're tending a garden, Mm -hmm. you can't help but like, 
slow down. It will slow you down. And you can't be moving around a lot because your stuff will die. I have experienced that <laughs> That's also. Awful. Yeah. So, yeah, I think I, I live in a really, like, I live in both of those spaces, but I really, I prefer to be in the slow. Yeah. Give me the slow anytime. Yeah. Yeah. Do you feel that conflict? Like, because there must be calls on your time for all kinds of forward-facing. I know you did a great Colors Festival in Tampa, mm -hmm. you know, to be called on as an expert. So you want to be able to fill that role, but you also want to be there that colors are growing. Mm -hmm. Yeah, it's a it's a balancing act. Also yeah. still figuring it out. Mm -hmm. Also, I think like the last two years have been a big learning experience where I realized like, oh, I can put things, I can take those engagements and I can place them kind of at the top of my year, mm -hmm. you know, when things are still kind of dormant. Mm -hmm. um, and then when things slow down after the harvest season, I can also, you know, like I'm finding really creative ways to make it make sense. Um, you mentioned the home place, which I imagine started out with some cracks and the, and the mechanical... <sighs> the tool shed or whatever, like, yeah, my grandfather's mechanic shop, they seem to have so much, as you said, like so much life just in the ground. But also for me, looking at the before pictures, there's something just so special because it's someplace that just one doesn't ordinarily walk through that door visually, mm -hmm. you know, and, um, I'm, I'd love to hear about being in this place. And then, as I understand it, your father, your grandfather gave you the deed. So it is actually yours. Yeah. And what is that like to have that deed? And what are you in the process of, you know, doing in making it your own? Mm, well, let me tell you, this was the first year I ever paid taxes. Wow. <laughs> yeah. That's a tough one. Mm. Yeah. Right. It Deeds is. come with responsibilities. Don't they? Yeah. Um, yeah. And those those Holly Springs taxes don't play. Mm. Um, and it is what it is. But I think like there's been a really healthy helping of like responsibility and like love and joy and like grounding myself, which feels very necessary in this industry mm -hmm. because it's really easy to float away. Mm -hmm. You the, you have these. Well, it's at least one building, but it is the machine shop in the same. Oh. Tell me. Okay. <laughs> so it's around three acres of land. Okay. We've got the home place that sits there, which is the house I grew up in, yes. the house my mom grew up in. Yes. Um, and your aunt. And my aunt Kay, yes, who was incredible, who is also like, she's one of the preservationists of our family. She's the one who taught me how to make chicken pastry the way that her mom made it, the way that her mom made it. But the the shop, we've always called it the shop. It was my first job, essentially, because I used to answer phones in the house. And I would have to say, pop, what are repairs? <laughs> like, I could never just, it doesn't matter if it was my friends calling. It doesn't matter. I was so embarrassed. I, would, I was on the clock if I was home. So I have a very, like loving and intimate relationship with this building and yeah. with this history there. Yeah. But my grandfather um, started this mechanic shop like in the late 60s, early 70s. And he employed a lot of the folks around us, right? A lot of our relatives. 
a lot of um, people who wanted to start businesses. He kind of acted as an incubator. The mm-hmm. space really supported a lot of other blooming um, entrepreneurs. And I always thought that was really cool because I look at the way that people honor and care for my grandfather. Mm-hmm. When his name comes up, when when people mention Mayfield, yeah. like, oh, there is such an, like, people love him. Mm-hmm. And, yeah. One of the things that I loved is how you talk about the tablescapes, mm-hmm. table settings yes. as making a place, mm-hmm. so a place at the table. Tell me about that. Um, so I love to refer to uh, table setting as placemaking mm-hmm. because I feel like it's an opportunity to tell another story. Mm-hmm. Right. Like something I love doing whenever I gather folks for food is Mm -hmm. like I love telling them where the food came from. Mm -hmm. I love mentioning like why they're eating what Mm -hmm. they're eating. But also like I feel like the table tells its own story Mm -hmm. and it's an opportunity to like call people into the space who maybe couldn't physically be there. And so much like an altar, Mm -hmm. I treat like the center of my table as a, a place to like put portraits of my ancestors and my elders who I honor, love, and respect, Mm -hmm. put dried flowers and plants that I've foraged Mm -hmm. that also tell a story of the seasons. Mm -hmm. Um, And it's also like an opportunity. I don't always, always encourage folks to like take a little something, but you know, I put put seed heads on the table a lot of the time and it's something you can kind of take with you and plant on your own. Um, So I love an opportunity to like tell another story, mention some names without necessarily mentioning all the names. Mm -hmm. Um, And also like just create a beautiful space for us to like enjoy one another. I feel like that's like when your table setting is warm, Mm -hmm. it it creates a tone, just like the music, just like the food, all of that matters. And I've seen you use pottery that are made by potters who you love. Mm -hmm. I mean, it goes to every single thing on the table. Everything is placed with intention. And I feel like you feel that when you sit down, you can feel the intention, the books, you know, I have Nikki Finney, occasional poetry, her Mm -hmm. hotbed book that she released um, always is on the table. I always have like some Edna Lewis. I always have, there are a few folks who I always like in the space. Um, And I hope, you know, you'll pick up a book if you have a moment and just kind of like look at it, gaze at it, see some pictures and it'll take you deeper into the story. This episode is brought to you by Roberta's home of Heritage Radio Network for 10 years. Roberta's was founded in Bushwick in 2008 and has become one of the most iconic restaurants in the country. HRN made its home inside of Roberta's in 2009, and together they have become part of the DIY fabric of the neighborhood. Roberta's, the pizza restaurant, is open for lunch and dinner seven days a week and serves much more than just the famous wood-fired pizzas. Their team dreams up new salads, pastas, and sandwiches on the regular. Roberta's Tiki Bar is alive and well in the back garden, serving up frozen drinks in the summer and hot toddies in the winter. Stop by the bakery and takeout spot next door for fresh breads, sticky buns, and pizzas to go. And of course, there's the two Michelin-starred Blanca tucked away in the garden for truly daring diners. But Roberta's also extends beyond Bushwick, with multiple locations in New York City and now in Los Angeles. You can also find their frozen pies in grocery stores around the country. The spirit of Roberta's, like Heritage Radio Network, is everywhere. 
Here's to many more years of pizza-powered radio. Learn more about Roberta's at robertaspizza.com. We haven't talked too much about food, which is sort of funny because oh. your food is amazing. <laughs> um, what's the things that you like making the most? Well, or tell your story the best. I mean, I'm I'm imagining those two things might go together. Yeah, I feel like just eating and cooking seasonally. Like, mm-hmm. what's coming out? What's fresh? What's available? I feel like I love getting gifts of like, hey, I raised and cured this bacon. Those are the you get much better gifts than I do. (laughs) (laughs) But yeah, I love stuff like that. It really does like inform what I'm sharing with Mm -hmm. others. It's like, what am I able to right now? It's like creasy, creasy season. So I don't know if you know what creasy greens are. It's a wild green. It's Mm -hmm. a. uh, It's also referred to as upland cress. It's um, a peppery, almost like arugula wild green that grows everywhere. And um, it's one of those greens that was used historically to cleanse. It was a tonic green. So at the top of the year when it's growing, you're eating it because it's cleansing Mm. your system. Um, It's like also poke salad was another one of those Mm -hmm. greens um, that you have to, of course, cook first before, you know. Not of course to me. Good to know. Otherwise, I'm going to be getting that <laughs> poke from the market and going, just chewing on my poke here. We don't want that for you. No, okay. Um, so, Didn't yeah, there are a lot of, like, things that, like, you have to know the story. You have to yeah. know the tradition in order to eat it properly and not get sick. Yeah. I love, like, going out into the woods and that being a part of also what informs my menu. Um, what's blooming, the red buds, you know, the peach blossoms right now. Like, all of those things are informing my menu. Um, I'm using a lot of tea these days. Mm. I'm using a lot of, like, unconventional braising liquids. I was reading about um, how you're trying to find a way to make the perfect hot link that you actually would eat and not be like, oh, my God, I just poisoned myself. Yeah. Are there a few things like that where Mm. you're thinking about, I know it's made with, like a horrible dye in the past, mm-hmm. but mm-hmm. I'd like, or whatever. Um, but you'd like to find a way to bring it into today? You know, some nostalgic things I just let be. Okay. Yeah, I just let them be what yeah. they are, mm-hmm. and I only eat them when I, every yeah. blue moon, yeah. because I don't want that in my system all the time. Yeah. Now, Red Hots are something that I grew up eating, uh-huh. and I absolutely believe. What do I call it? It's a Red Hot. Sorry. Yeah. No, it's okay. Yeah. Red hats are delicious, okay? But I also believe there are better ways to get to a red link. And so I I enjoy playing with that stuff because, you know, I got really close. I'm picking that project back up this summer. I'm going to try and do something before Juneteenth. Uh But, um, yeah, it just, it makes me feel better when I know what I'm eating is, like, reasonable. (laughs) You know, no one was insulted by the way that this animal was raised or assaulted by the way that it was raised. And also, like, the redness of this dog is because of the anchiote paste Mm -hmm. or the paprika or, you know, that's my goal. Yeah. So seed keeping as part of keeping history, part of legacy. Can you tell me, you know, what are your interests in seeds and what should we all be thinking about with seeds? Honestly, my view on seeds has really changed a lot since I first got out in the garden. Um, I think I was always like heirloom, 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 mm-hmm. you know, because I think that's what we're kind of like trained to understand. Mm-hmm. 
um, which I think is beautiful because heirloom seeds, to me, the beauty in them is they tell a story of a place. Mm-hmm. They tell a story of a soil and mm-hmm. of a family, usually, mm-hmm. that raised and kept mm-hmm. those seeds for a long time. So I think that's beautiful. And I think with my own gardening practices, like land-raised gardening has been really fun for me because you get to kind of allow things to thrive that will thrive in your soil specifically, Mm -hmm. right? So it's kind of promiscuous Mm -hmm. pollination. Mm -hmm. So you plant a bunch of stuff around itself, like, you know, together, and you see what thrives, and you call out what doesn't do as well, and you allow whatever did the best Mm -hmm. and crossed over, you keep those seeds, and then you continue to grow that out. Um, And so I feel like that has worked really well for me, and I'm excited to play some more with that. But I also love, I mean, I love the story of an heirloom. And I work with um, the Heirloom Collar Project, which I think is really cool because, you know, there's over 70 varieties of heirloom collards. Wow. And each of them have their own unique, beautiful taste. And Mm so for someone like me who is like a pot liquor connoisseur, (laughs) I'm just in heaven with that information. (laughs) Yeah, that goes on the, we don't use business cards anymore, but that's the IG handle. Yeah, public or connoisseur. I like that. Yeah, for sure. (laughs) I mean, it seems fair to me for you. Thank you. Thank you. Um, I have a little seed bank that I keep that has, I haven't counted my seeds, but I know well over 200 types of seeds. Wow. Um, A lot were gifts, Mm -hmm. some were shopped. Mm -hmm. Um, My new obsession is Ujama Seed Collective. Um, and tell me about that. Oh, my God. They specialize in, like, seeds of the African diaspora. Mm-hmm. So I was able to get a lot of, like, African greens, mm-hmm. um, peanuts, that type of stuff, grains from Goons. them. Uh-huh. But they also, like, they have some other, like, they have some wild things. They have some um, indigenous. So if I'm going to buy seeds, I try and get them from, like, collectives and groups like that. Mm-hmm. And then I get a lot of seed gifts, which I always welcome. Mm -hmm. And then from time to time, like, there's always, like, a seed exchange or something going on. Yes. You came into my consciousness through High on the Hog. What was that experience like for you? I loved it. I was, number one, the team, the crew that they had Mm -hmm. just really made me feel at home. Mm -hmm. I was literally at home. But they made me feel... So loved and like I was the best thing in the world that they had ever seen. But yeah, it was a really beautiful experience. And initially they just wanted me to be a part of BJ's segment. I was Uh supposed to come to South Carolina and be a part of that, which I did shoot in South Carolina. But um, when the one of the producers talked to me about like what I was doing, the work I was doing at my home place, Mm -hmm. they were like, oh, no, we got to this needs to be a whole segment. And so they ended up coming out and like, I was like, okay, I guess I'm creating a dinner. So I kind of recreated a dinner just for that episode. But it was kind of a very small tamped down version of my annual Equinox Supper, which is something that I do every September. The last one or the one that I know about was a tribute to the rural imagination. Mm -hmm. And tell me about what is the rural imagination to you? Oh, it's everything. It's everything. It's my grandfather engineering and making things, using what he has access to. It's uh, it's very much like that as an ethos, right? Like, what do we have access to? What is seasonal? What's available? And we're going to use it all. Mm-hmm. And then we're going to share it. Mm-hmm. 
Um, and I feel like gardening too is like witnessing a seed turn into a crop. It's, you know, seed back out, watching that process like sparks my rural imagination. I think it's like all the beauty of like the access to land and trees and just being able to spend time with land and trees. Like it, it really is everything. I, I love the way that you have your own definition of wealth. Mm-hmm. Um, do you want to share that? Like, how do you think about wealth? Wealth for me is like the ways that you're able to like care for yourself and your family. And through food sovereignty specifically, I feel like we've been able to reimagine what wealth looks like for generations. So right now for me as a creative and as an artist, like wealth really looks like having access to, of course, like growing my own food, Mm -hmm. um, having access to like farmers that grow Mm -hmm. this beautiful food. And then also like being able to like make from whatever is around me. And so like the freedom to have a textile project. I'm working Mm -hmm. with um, a friend of mine. Are you dying with mud? Of course I am. That was so amazing. <laughs> of course <laughs> I was dying just like, with wow. With red clay. Red, red clay, sorry. Yes, red yeah. dirt. Um, oh, it's yes, it's like, it's what, what are the things that we've been using for generations as medicine, as clothing, um, as, you know, as food? It's really like just accessing those in new ways and like playing with that stuff. It's really been fun for me. Another project that you have going on is the tall grass food. Mm-hmm. I'd love to hear about what's happening with that. Yes. So tall grass is a CSA, which stands for Community Supported Agriculture. Um, it's a CSA model that we work with black farmers all over the state to source fresh food biweekly. We feed around 250 families. Um, and you can come and pick up a box that has around eight items, fresh eggs, whatever is coming out of the earth that week. It's been harvested maybe a day before you get it, so it's the freshest of the fresh, Um, and it's from our community of beautiful growers and farmers here in the state. Um, So it's just a celebration of, like, Black food and Black food history, and we're actually transitioning it from a CSA model to a cooperative. So we're working now with the farmers to try and figure out how we can hand it back over to them. Hmm. You know, we've built this kind of platform and we've got a beautiful base of customers who Mm -hmm. are like excited about the produce Mm -hmm. and now they're going to be getting it directly from the farmers. Mm -hmm. Um, And we're just figuring out what that looks like this season. At the end of each show, I ask my guest if there's a woman that they admire, who they want to give a shout out broadly to, who deserves more attention. I was just down in Charleston for um, Charleston Wine and Food. food. Mm -hmm. So at Chef BJ's event, he did like an excursion Mm. um, and we went out into the rice fields. Mr. Chalmers and his wife, Mm -hmm. they grow rice out there. And it was such a beautiful experience to see the fields, to learn directly from him, like what he's been doing and what his family really he's generations deep in that work. At his event, I met Miss Valerie Irwin. 
Oh, love her. She's amazing. Miss Valerie Ge- Irwin. Geechee Girl. Geechee Girl Cafe. Cafe. And She's amazing. She is absolutely amazing. I was like, give this woman her flowers right now. Number one, her energy is everything. She's incredibly talented. The food she served us was beautiful and delicious. And she's just thoughtful. And you could tell, like, she was cooking with her sisters. It was just so beautiful to see, like, what she's manifesting. Miss Sally Ann Robinson is another woman who, she is on Defusky Island. She is also doing um, cultural preservation work through food. She was on the episode with me, actually. Oh. So when we went to South Carolina um, for the whole haul, mm-hmm. it was on her property. Got it. So Miss Sally Ann, absolutely, like, superstar, incredible, makes you feel loved. Mm. Her food, everything I tasted from her was delicious and felt like home. And so she's definitely another one. Well, thank you so much. It has been such a pleasure to have you on Speaking Broadly. Thank you for joining me in the studio. Thank you. Gabrielle, so happy to meet you. And um, for all of you listeners out there, I hope you enjoyed the pod. And you'll listen in again next time, bringing more amazing stories from incredible, inspiring people. Have a great day. Thank you so much. Thank you. This show is powered by Simplecast. Thanks for listening to Heritage Radio Network, food radio supported by you. Keep in touch at heritageradionetwork.org slash subscribe.